everyone. Welcome to the Steve Maxwell Drums Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on our website at www.maxwelldrums.com and then our reverb stores at Steve Maxwell Drums-Chicago and Steve Maxwell Drums-New York. We also have social media, uh, two Instagram accounts, at Maxwell Drum Shop Chicagoland and then at Maxwell Drum Shop. And then also on Facebook, Steve Maxwell and Steve Maxwell Drum Shop. And then, of course, check us out on Twitter at Maxwell Drum Shop. We will interview players, collectors, drum and cymbal builders, and also teachers about all things percussion. And you can go to YouTube if you want to see the video. We'll have pictures of drum shops, drum sets, badges, cymbals, all kinds of fun stuff. So let's get started. We hope you enjoy it. Three, two, one. B3, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How's it going? <laughs> going great. Going great. Thanks for having me here, Steve. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Um, so... So yeah, you um, you've got a a great history, and your family's got a great history with all different kinds of percussion. For for those who don't know out there listening and watching, B three is uh, the Ludwig the Third, Bill Ludwig the Third. That's yes. what the <laughs> abbreviation is there for. Right. <laughs> and um, and yeah, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. We're gonna talk about like you, your history, and. Uh, Kind of some like, fun stories you got. Sure. <laughs> and then then we'll get into uh, the WFL3 company, which they're making some really, really incredible drums uh, nowadays. But yeah, let's start with let's start with you. So well, tell me some stories about, I don't know, like when you were when you were young and, and the the Ludwig company and your your dad and your grandpa. <clears throat> well, the first one, I'll kind of start a little bit further down the road because you brought it up B3. Okay. Uh <laughs> When my grandfather was still alive, he used to come out to mom and dad's house on weekends to hang out. Sure. So the phone rang one day, and my mom answered it, and they said, uh, is Bill there? And mom said, which one? One, two, or three? <laughs> so then I became B3. B3. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that must have been yeah. slightly confusing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you go, Bill, and everybody goes, what? You know? I, I actually know that because I'm a, I'm a, a second, although my middle oh, yeah, name's different, right. so I don't know if that makes me officially a, a yeah. second, but yeah. people will call the shop all the time and they'll they'll be, uh, <laughs> is this Steve? Yeah, it's Steve. And then they'll, I just talked to you about this and this and this. Okay, you want my dad. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And even with email, too, people email me all the time and they think it's going to be me, but they're, or, or yeah. vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, uh, but it was great growing up with you know senior and my dad and uh, we would play rudimental drum parts on rope drums on Fourth of July out in the backyard and so do you, do you play I don't know anything about you and, and like uh, your your playing did, did yeah. you like have a marching background then I guess well I I had a little bit of everything I started out first of all I started uh, in third grade was my first job in the factory on, okay. on Saturdays. Dad and Senior would go down to the factory and have their private meetings, they sure. called it. And so Dad started saying, why don't you come down to the factory on Saturdays with us? And I said, okay. So their private meetings were going into Dad's office, and they'd fight like cats and dogs. Yeah, you told and me about I, that before. And I <laughs> thought they're going to kill each other, you know. But <laughs> sure. that's just the way fathers and sons were, you know. Family businesses, sometimes it happens. And, <laughs> and the old stubborn German of my grandfather, you know. Sure. But I would be given this big pile of mail, and I, my job was to open the mail, stamp it received, and put it in, you know, uh, sales category or question category piles. Nice. And then that was my job. And when the pile was done, I got to play with the switchboard. 
mm-hmm. which back then was had all the cords and the lights and the headset. And, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I pretended I was on a submarine or something, you know. But, awesome. <laughs> but I used to love to just play in the factory and, and be around the machinery and the drums. and the, So which, which factory did you grow up in? 1728 North Damon. North, okay, cool. That, that's, that, that was the kind of the main one. That's the one that everyone always, and I think the building's still there. Yes. People always talk about it. Sometimes it, people go on like a pilgrimage. Right. And they'll go see it and yeah, well, take that, pictures. Hey, it, look, it, I saw the... It's condominiums now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which I was in it. Somebody I know lives there. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they invited me down. That must have been weird. Oh, it was bad. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, got, a, I got itchy. I had to leave because yeah. it was quiet. Right. And there used to be the punch presses going and the saws and the drill machines, and it was real noisy. Oh, man. And to go in there now, it's just quiet. Now it's just full of yuppies. But, <laughs> but it is cool. First of all, I'm glad it's still there. I'm sure. glad they didn't level it and make it a Walmart or something. Right, right. But the, uh, the building owner, or I don't know who exactly, painted a huge bass drum head on the floor. And oh, nice. And put the Beatles logo and the Ludwig on hey, top of it so that's great <laughs> yeah they kept they kept that alive and i love it when people do that yeah it's it's a problem in chicago that everything's always moving forward it's not like if you go to like paris you know you go to paris yeah. you got like buildings that have been there for 400 years right. commonly right chicago they tear so many things down so exactly that's great yeah. that they at least yeah they kept it yeah <laughs> and they did a great job with it some of the units are stunning I right mean, they, they're t- two level or uh there's one section of the condos that has a, a circular staircase up to an outdoor deck nice. <laughs> with a jacuzzi, and you can see the city, and it, it's great. Beautiful. <laughs> I wish I would have bought one. You know? Right, right. <laughs> That's uh, that would be kind of funny if you if you lived there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can only imagine. You know, if somebody spending the night there, especially if I did, I'm sure I would hear some drumming and hear some, <laughs> you know, endorsers, <laughs> long gone endorsers talking to me or something. Like a ghost. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Buddy Rich, you know. You know and, so, that, so what what uh, what year is this when and how old are you when when you were there and kind of learning the the ropes? <laughs> well, that that would be the early early sixties, okay, right around the Beatle boom. And time. you were like really young. You were yeah. probably what like maybe grade school nine or ten. Okay, cool. And then uh, you ever get to meet Ringo over there? Not there, but I've met him over the years. You know, when I sure. was doing artist <laughs> relations, and he had started his uh, Ringo's All Star Band, right. Back in the, I think, I don't know, mid-80s or so, or early 80s, he started that. Yeah. So I was dealing with him then, which was cool. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy. In fact, <laughs> you know, I still see him when he comes through town with the All-Stars. Sure, sure. But it was it was great to grow up in that environment. Sure. And, and then mom and dad would uh, take me along when they went to see, like, for example, Dave Brubeck Quartet. Right. You know, and be, we'd be backstage. And uh, yeah, that must have been oh, it was phenomenal. And Joe, amazing. Joe would uh, come to the house a lot whenever he had a you know a couple of nights stint in Chicago, come out to mom and dad's house for dinner one night and hang out. And I'd always say, you know, oh, Joe, play the kit in the basement so I can watch you, you know, real close. And and he would, and that's what got me interested in drumming. So finally, uh, I'd be playing around on the drum kit in the basement, and dad said. When I was, I think, in fourth grade or fifth grade, well, if you if you really want to be a drummer, you got to take lessons. And I said, okay, I want to be a drummer. Right. So he said, okay, I'll find you a teacher. So he found a teacher. Herman Wigman was his name. 
brought him to the house, comes in my bedroom, sets up a practice pad, the music stand, and says, okay, now we're going to, you know, this is a rudiment. This is a paradiddle. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I played it a little bit, and I said, okay, that's nice, but what about the drum kit in the basement? You know, I want to play that. Sure. Not yet. You won't touch that for a year. Oh, man. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> nope, not for a year. He wasn't messing around. He's no. going to teach you right. <laughs> get, get my hands right, teach me how to read music. And I'm like, oh, man, that's not what I had in mind. But anyhow, that's what I did. So then I started uh, playing drum set. And then as I got into grade school, I played timpani and then marched in the high school marching band. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and Marching's... It, it, so what kind of drums did the marching band use? Uh, they had Ludwig, oddly <laughs> enough. They better had Ludwig. <laughs> they, they got a brand new set of Silver Sparkle somehow. I don't know how yeah, that happened. So something happened. Someone yeah, pulled some strings. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Nice. But they were... Uh, and actually, you know, Ludwig is the only like American company that I know of that actually still makes marching stuff. Right. There, it's all Pearl and Yamaha. Exactly. Yeah. Like maybe some time about it, Pearl and Yamaha, they yeah. took that over. Oh, right? I know. I know. Well, they, Remember Rogers used to, oh, used to yeah. make really yeah. cool marching drums. I always see those come through. You can't sell them though. They're, yeah. they're so few people collect those, but they're, yeah, right, <laughs> right. But then, then when, you know, I, as I got more involved in the company, I worked in every department during the summer, and I worked in customer service. I nice. worked in the computer department. I worked a little bit on the manufacturing side. And uh, then when I got out of college, uh, Dad needed, uh, had just had a, a person leave in the advertising department mm-hmm. and said, I want you to be the advertising manager. And I'm like, but I, I didn't study that. And he goes, yeah, you'll learn. Sure. Because I studied uh, all... Uh, you know, industrial psychology and manufacturing. I thought I was going to run the factory. Oh, and yeah, you've told me this story too before. Yeah, I remember yeah. that now. And, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, so much for the education, you know, <laughs> throw that out. Hey, almost no one actually ends up doing what they learned exactly, in school. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it was pretty hysterical. So I, he made me advertising manager. There was uh, three people in that department that were teaching me how to do uh, poster layouts, catalogs, flyers, things like that. And, uh, and the photography for those things. Right. And then about a month into it, and I'm starting to feel almost comfortable, and Dad comes in my cubicle, I didn't have an office, and he says, um, I just fired the artist relations person, you're going to do that too. <laughs> and I said, but, 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 you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that. He goes, and I'll never forget this, he turned around and walked out of my area, waving over his shoulder, said, you'll learn. <laughs> and, sure. And luckily, I had uh, played in a in in high school freshman year in high school. I had a rock band that I played in, mm-hmm. so I had a, a you know a real love for rock and roll and live music, and so that was a pretty easy transition for me to start going backstage to concerts. And artist relations is an interesting gig. My wife Madeline, her dad uh, Ray Tregellis, he. Um, he was the artist relation guy. You might even know him. I heard uh, that. I was just going to say. A lot of people know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was the artist relation guy for Pearl. Oh, yeah. And so Ed, that, that's a crazy connection. And yeah, yeah. I, I married his, his daughter. Oh. I know that he was, and then he became the artist relations guy for LP later. Oh, okay. So Pearl and then LP. Yeah, I've it, heard that name. It's, it seems like it's a fun gig. It's like, oh, man, you get to go, go hang out with musicians, go to dinners, go to this, go to that. But I, I imagine it probably actually gets old and probably gets to the point where you're just like, 
I don't want to go to any more concerts. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely. Right? absolutely. It's like you're a performer almost. It, like. <laughs> it, it's, it's a grind, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm quite competitive also. And uh, <laughs> if he was your, Ray was your competition back there, then, maybe. If there's a guy in town playing Brand X, I wanted to go to that concert and sure. swing him over to our side. You know, right, I right. still do. <laughs> oh, man. I still do. And there was times... You know, it got really crazy where, uh, like on a weekend, I would hit two or three concerts in one night. Sure. You know, I'd go to the sound check of one, and as soon as they went on stage, run out the back door, drive a couple of miles to another gig, go in that back door as that drummer's coming off, going, oh, great show, man, I loved it. <laughs> so did you, like, did you know the the, peop the people just knew who you were? No, I mean... My name's Ludwig. You ever heard of me? Yeah, well, let me <laughs> I, that, that's pretty much how it would go. I'd go sure. go to the backstage door, and I also found out going at soundcheck time, it's a little lighter security. You know? Oh, okay, sure. So, But you go with a business card and, and say, could you go give this to somebody on the crew and try to get it to the drummer? Right. And it wouldn't be long before either the road manager or the drummer himself would be out there with a pass saying, please come in. And so this is in like what the late seventies or yeah seventy six seventy six when so, you so started, started doing that. yeah yeah and oh man you must have it was a riot because I became close friends with these guys <laughs> yeah. and they also respected my input because I was a drummer sure and when I would go to the concerts they'd say oh we got you you know second row center seats I said I don't want them I want to sit back with the drum tech mm -hmm. and I want to watch what you're doing <laughs> and then after after seeing them I could recommend. You know, I think you should change hi hats, mm -hmm. or I think you should try these other heads, and I'd make recommendations that were working. Right. So right. they began to trust me, and I also discovered it's best to get close to the drum techs. Sure. You know, because they're the ones who make it happen. And if I could, you know, if I could tell the drum tech, you know what, try this new head we're coming out with, and it's a huge success. He looks like a hero, and he loves me so. Who who are some some players and and bands that you you really remember that really stuck out? Oh, Joey Kramer with Aerosmith was great, and uh, Alan Kratzer from Ario Speedwagon, and uh, Carmine Apice, of course, uh, sure <laughs> was a great endorser and a good clinician of ours. He was a great educator. Oh yeah, and uh, and quite a guy. You know, we had some laughs together, <laughs> and Alex Van Halen. You know, he was a great drummer, but uh, just a major prankster. You oh, yeah. Never, <laughs> ever turn your back on him backstage, you know. and Never heard that before. That's funny. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I uh, I love to cook also. That's my other love in life than music. Nice. And, I'm with you on that, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so one time, Van Halen were basing out of Chicago for a week at a mm -hmm. time. Sure. And uh, I, I live downtown. So I told him, instead of going out to dinner tonight, why don't you and Eddie come to my place, and I'll make a nice salmon with champagne sauce. Nice. He said, oh, that sounds good. Okay, we'll be there. <laughs> and Eddie and Valerie had just gotten married not too long before that. So the building called me when my visitors arrived, and I went out in the hall waiting for him to come up the elevator. And Alex and his lady turned the corner, and, and I'm looking for, I said, where's Eddie? Oh, they decided to stay back at the hotel and have a cozy room service dinner. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. So I took Eddie's hunk of salmon and threw it back in the freezer. So we had a nice dinner, and the next day they were playing at Notre Dame, two hours away, and I was going to go to the gig. Right. 
And uh, I went to get some, some ice out of the fridge, and I see Eddie's hunk of salmon. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring it to him. <laughs> so I walk in at sound check. So you had, you had cooked it? No. No, oh, okay. it was still, so it was raw. <laughs> it was raw that I, I put, I froze Okay. <laughs> for future use. But then I thought, I'm going to bring it for the, for a laugh, you know. Sure. <laughs> so I come backstage at town check time and I go, you know, everybody, hi. They have the band saying hi, hi. And, and Eddie, and I go, hey, Eddie, you know, here's what you missed last night. And I threw the hunk of salmon down the catering table and it bounced you know, down like a hockey puck. Sure. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I missed dinner, but, you know, and I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so then that's that, and the show starts. After the show, I get backstage early because I didn't, I wanted to beat the rush, and Alex <clears throat> is by the door of the dressing room, and he goes, uh, want a cup of coffee? <laughs> and I said, not from you. And I went, got myself a beer, and everybody that came <laughs> in, he's going, want a cup of coffee? Want a cup of coffee? So I'm watching these people get the coffee he's serving them, and they're sipping it and kind of making a face and kind of putting it down. So I go up to Alex. I said, okay, what's up with the coffee? <laughs> and they had the big catering coffee urn thing. Right. And uh, Alex goes, well, you remember the salmon you brought for Eddie? <laughs> I put it in the coffee maker when we went on. Oh, man. <laughs> that must have been gross. <laughs> and I went, wait a minute. This is right when chefs were starting to use coffee as a rub. Okay. You know, and, a, and I said, wait a minute. It's been in there for an hour and a half. Oh, like marinated? It's there. probably yeah. perfectly poached. Sure. So all of a sudden, he and I are digging it out of the coffee pot, put it on a plate. The, all the band now comes around and say, what are you whack jobs doing? And everybody's got a fork and trying it and going, well, that tastes good. <laughs> That's funny. So Coffee, we, salmon. Put, we, we ate <laughs> Eddie's coach. salmon anyhow. <laughs> wow. But don't drink the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This tastes fishy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that uh, that's typical Alex. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so so when, when, um, when your dad, like, took the, like, took more control of Ludwig, did, did your grandpa, like, retire for a while? Oh, um, no. No. Or he just like worked. Oh yeah. He and worked. how how old was he when he passed away? He was ninety three, <clears throat> and he was in the factory every day up until two weeks before he died. Wow, man! His that's... his calendar on his desk was totally current, <laughs> and that's a good life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, and also I think he was around ninety one or ninety two when we were in one of our Fourth of July backyard parties playing Connecticut halftime. Sure. Which has three sections, and the last sections pretty tough and i just spaced out and forgot it i was 16 or 15 at the time mm -hmm. and i sp i stopped playing and senior keeps going yeah and i'm like oh man he how does he remember that you know and <laughs> yeah. so he was really on top of it up to the end and he had a stroke when he was 93 and went in the hospital and you know most people are really one side of their body is affected by a stroke or they can't talk or whatever. Sure. And I went in to see him and I said, uh, how are you feeling, grandfather? And he goes, not good. I have a little problem moving my left thumb and they won't let me smoke cigars in the hospital. <laughs> and that was his only complaint. That's funny. And I thought, wow, that's all that's wrong with him? That's amazing. And then 
two days later, he had a big stroke, and that took him out. But, oh, uh, man. But I'd rather go that way than forever, <laughs> you know, years in a wheelchair or something. Yeah, yeah. So he he started he started Ludwig. Yes, I've heard different stories about like the genesis of the of the company. And um, is it true that he he wanted to make a metal drum? Well, he started with a bass drum pedal first. Oh, really? Okay. He was he he was in the, he was a drummer for the circus, and during the off season. With the winter season, they wouldn't tour, so he got a gig with a vaudeville act in Chicago. All right. So with the faster tempo music, he had a big wooden bass drum pedal with a big long footboard and a big tall beater sure. that you could barely keep time with, mm -hmm. and that wasn't cutting it for the vaudeville. So he went in his garage, and he had some design ideas already in his head. And this is when he was in his early twenties. Is that would that be the house in? Uh Pilsen, is it? I think so, yeah. yeah. There's pictures of that in the Ludwig yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> cool. And he went in That's there. still there, too, I think. He went Not in, the shed, but the house. <laughs> he went in and tinkered and, and came <clears throat> up with a rough uh, design of a pedal sure. that was small and folded up and went in your pocket. Nice. And it was fast, and everybody freaked out and loved it. And on top of that, his sister was dating, uh, I forget the first name, but a Danley. Of Danley Machine Company, mm -hmm. and in the early days of Dan, you know, Danley Machines grew to make punch presses that that do car hoods in one swipe. I mean, okay. they were that big. But at the time, he saw Senior's sketches and his prototype. Sure. And he said, "You know what? If you make this part out of metal, I got a machine that would do that." Nice. So all <laughs> of a sudden, you know, he's talking to my my grandfather about the bass drum pedal. In the meantime, his date is going, are we going out to dinner or what? Are you going <laughs> sure. to talk drum stuff here? And it was pretty I've funny. I've seen a couple of those at the shop. It was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Can we go? <laughs> exactly. But it was pretty hysterical how that evolved. And then he that really put the final touches on Senior's first pedal, the, me the metal parts. It's such a cool story, and man. everybody just flipped out when they saw it and said, where'd you get it? Oh, I right. made it. Well, make me one. So he and his brother Theobald started making pedals in their garage. Right, and and so um, then it, it was a while until they started making, and it probably was metal drums first. I think. Well, they they they, uh, they branched out and got a storefront as a drum shop, as a drum repair shop. Okay. So they would they were known as the Ludwig Brothers that could fix anything. So drummers would bring them their you know broken snare strainer. Sure. Or even a broken head, because back then people weren't hip enough to change their own head. So that they would do wow. that, and they'd tune them for them and fix them. And while Senior was working on these drums, he would notice things with the strainer or, you know, and say, well, I could do that better, because he was such an inventive guy. And then he started making... Then he started making metal snare drums. Yeah, it's a, such incredible innovations, and that was yeah. like that was the first bass drum pedal ever. Yes, and, and there, well, there are examples. The first of that. metal one. They're collectible now. The first first metal bass drum. Oh, pedal. I've seen. There the was wood some ones wood before. ones. Yeah, yeah I've but seen those, those were before. just pathetic. Yeah, not know, not very effective. Too yeah. big and too slow, and you know, <laughs> not hip. That's but, awesome. Uh, so he kind of put like the finishing touches to make it a success. Yeah, yes, on an idea yes. that a lot of people had, but he, right. he really went through with it. And it's, the, it's such an amazing American story. Like back in the day in Chicago, you had all these industries, heavy and light industries, yeah. all over the place. So right. if you had an idea, you would know a guy who could who could it, make it for you. It's, it's exactly. a little bit like that now. Still, like 
we're in Glendale Heights here. There's an industrial center. I got a guy, yeah. Kevin, who he helps me out with metal stuff. He's he works at a place and he makes the cymbal toppers for us. Oh, but but it's, I don't think it's as as um, as easy as it used to be. Like to get something chrome plated. Oh, that's really tough. It. You know? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I mean, you with with your company now. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've dealt with all the same things my dad deals with with Craviato. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll get to that soon, but yeah. Well, but, yeah, but so, then the, the next interesting thing I think is uh, <laughs> Senior uh, and Theobald ended up renting a factory basement. You know, they grew to that size and had like four or five employees all of a sudden. And then Senior got a gig uh, playing timpani with an opera company. Okay. And they were hand tuned timpani, you know, individually hand tuned. And he thought, this is a real pain. <laughs> it, I wish I could tune these with my feet. So he developed the balanced action foot tune timpani. Oh, I did not even know that. Yeah. Interesting. And that, you know, has a a big spring in it to balance the tension from the head to the footboard so that when you strike it, it doesn't move, doesn't change. So they tone. actually used to tune timps by hand? Yeah. Oh man, that doesn't seem uh, Yeah, so if you got a quick, <laughs> you know, go from a C to a B or whatever, you gotta go all the way around the drum, each individual right. one. And, no. That's why those those old pieces, the timpani parts are pretty yeah. Minimal. Exactly. I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. in the perfect authentic cadence. Boom, boom. But yeah. <laughs> and that's right. about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, but he allowed that, uh, and that was in the late 20s. He did that and patented it, and it's still patented today. Wow. I have seen in the book, I think I've seen a picture of that, the yeah. drawings. That's yeah. so cool, man. Yeah. And it was that was a very innovative <laughs> thing to come out with, you know, foot tune timpani. So, how, when, when the Ringo thing happened, you probably remember that. Oh, yeah. So how did you guys get Ringo? Ringo kind of got us. He was in Like a, Ludwig? You just he, <laughs> he, they were getting uh, bigger in England or Europe, and uh, <laughs> he and his manager were going through a drum shop in London to look at some drums. For, was he like a premier guy originally? He was or? a premier guy. I mean, that would make and sense. He, he, I don't think he was an endorser. He was just, he played premier. Sure. But... Uh, they were going through this dealer's shop, and on, on the desk was a, a sample of a new finish from us, Black Oyster Pearl. Right. And Ringo saw that and went, oh, I want that. <laughs> nice. And the dealer said, well, only Ludwig makes that. And he goes, I want Ludwig anyhow, because it was cool to buy USA products back then. Wow. When, from, from Europe. Sure, sure. And so then the next thing, you know, Ringo, they, they work out the sizes he wanted. And he saw some pictures. The dealer had a catalog, showed him some pictures of other kits and stuff. And we had a small little decal on the bass drum head. Mm -hmm. And Ringo says, I want the Ludwig logo bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and the dealer said, well, let me see. Thank God he knew my father. Called Dad in Chicago and says, uh, I've got this customer that wants a Ludwig logo extra big on the head and he's with the band, and I think they might be big someday. You should, Maybe. We'll you see. should do this for him. So Dad took a, in the meantime, Senior's chomping on a cigar going, ah, rock and roll's just a fad. Forget sure. him, you know. <laughs> oh, so, so Dad takes a head to a, a sign painter up the street from us because he knew a guy. Right. And had him paint the Ludwig logo on it and for this new band, the Beatles, and the guy had seen an album cover or something and knew what their logo looked like, so he put the Beatles below that. Sure. <laughs> put it on the drums, sent it over. Ringo bought it, loved the logo and everything. And then three months later, they were on Ed Sullivan show. 
Wow, man. And every shot of McCartney or Lennon had the Ludwig logo over their shoulder. Right, right. And then any shot of Ringo, it was all over the place. <laughs> and I was in fourth grade watching this at mom and dad's house on the in the living room floor, and I thought, wow, that there's our name in every shot. There's our name, and I thought it was great. Dad said, we're doomed. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, this guy is going to be so big and so hard to work with. He's going to be worse than Buddy Rich. And I said, no, <laughs> that can't be, because I'd met Buddy and he's terrified me. Really? <laughs> yeah, because he was always yelling at his manager about something. Yeah, it seems like he was an intense chap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. There was, yeah. It, but, but just it, so much like. Yeah. Like you could, you could, you know, he, he, even if he was in a good mood, it just, yeah, like kind of attacks you with every exactly, statement. <laughs> exactly. In this one time, around that time, uh, Dad had taken me to see him. We go backstage, and Buddy's, you know, having a, a fit at his manager about something, and Dad says, hey, buddy, Billy's got a question for you. And I'm pulling Dad's arm saying, shut I do not. What do you mean? And Buddy <laughs> oh, looks at me and goes, what? And, and Dad says, he wants to know how you make your bass drum go so fast. And he goes, with my foot. And I, <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I just, you know, wanted to run. But <laughs> Oh, man, it's funny. So, but at any rate, Ringo was the, just the total opposite. He was just Nicest guy. All he asked for was a kit when he toured. You right. know, Dad said he could have ordered 50 kits if he wanted to to give away, and we wouldn't have said boo. Did the orders, like, start coming in, like, the next day? Oh, the next day. Yeah. The next day. Our customer service phones were ringing off the wall with people <laughs> going, I want the Beetle kit. I, want, I mean, I want the Ringo kit, the Ringo kit. Right, right. And they're saying, what's that? And Dad's like, just take the order. You know, sure. and people were going into dealers. You and what, know. what was his original kit? That was probably a 22, 13, 16 with like a five, I think it was a five, five and a half or something. Yeah. Yeah. Then the first one. Or... Wood snare drum. On yes. That. Yeah. 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 That's funny because those to this day, even though there's a lot of them, those wood snares are supremely collectible. Yeah. To this day. Right. <laughs> well, and that color, boy, that black oyster pearl took yeah. off. It's beautiful. And it was so. So busy, we built a 100,000-square-foot addition to the factory, which meant we had to buy houses down the block and sure. level them and to make room. That must have been tough to do, actually. No, it, was, it wasn't because Dad... You guys had enough money you could offer them, like, more than it's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah you know, how much is the house? 50000 Okay, here's fifty-five. Okay. Yeah. Bye. We'll move. Yeah, cash. It's you know. got memories, whatever. Money's yeah, more important. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it was cool because Senior was alive at that time, too. Mm -hmm. So I was playing in the construction site and Senior pretending to drive the Caterpillar thing. We have a picture somewhere of that. I may, have, I may have seen that. He's at one got point. a cigar, and he's Maybe one of the drum shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was very exciting times, and and with the addition, uh, the larger factory addition, then we went to six, uh, twenty-four hours a day, six days a week. Wow, which was cranking out. An so all night you guys were making. Did oh. you ever get like noise complaints from the neighbors? No, In Chicago. Everything's all so close, you know. Yeah, well, we would shut down the manufacturing like a ten at night. Okay. And then a cleaning crew would come in ah, I see, and, I see. and clean and restock the machinery and take stuff out to the dumpster and that type of thing. So we were we were trying to be kind to the neighbors. But oh man, that's that's so cool. Chicago right now doesn't have. Really, I mean, at one point it was uh, you guys, and then of yeah. course the uh, the Slingerland and then yeah. Camco as well. Although they oh, were yeah. just outside the city, right. but right. 
Did you guys have any relationship with the Camco people? Probably not. They were no. too small. It's like, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> that's uh, no, but that's interesting. Uh, they make good drums though. But yeah, Chicago <clears throat> used to be just a tremendous manufacturing hub. Of, Everything, yeah, not just drums. And, <laughs> yeah, because we we used to get our plating done by a company not far from us in Chicago. Yeah, man. Because we did everything but the plating. Okay. You know, we made our own hoops. We made our own uh, stands. Oh, you parts. made your own hoops. Oh, yeah. yeah we you, would roll the steel. Do you know about triple flange hoops? Because I'm pretty sure WFL, although this is before you would remember, yeah. but, but maybe you've heard stories like WFL... I mean, they were probably the first to use triple flange hoops, right? Or, or I was believe it? so, yeah. Because back then, it, you, they started, you know, doing w, uh, uh, triple flange. Gretsch started using uh, die cast, and then Slingerland had their own inner version. Exactly, yeah, rolled and, kind of a rounded top. And they were brass, of course. Those are some of my favorite, yeah. uh, the WFL era ones. WFL, yeah, yeah the, in the 60s, the, it, it, I think it's apparent that you guys started pumping the drums out so fast. The, yeah. The WFL ones are made a little more like, um, you know, when did, when did you guys buy the company back? What, what year well, was that? Well, it was... Uh, in the four, in the late '30s, Senior had grown back, had really. grown into uh, making sound effects for silent movies. Okay, for the drummers behind the screen. Sure, horses' hoofs, the gunshot, the train, the boat whistles. <laughs> we had six pages of those at the catalog. Yeah, of just sound <laughs> effects. So the Great Depression took its toll on everybody. Although Senior was holding his own, and then they came out with talking movies. And the oh, next okay. day, every drummer was out of work. Oh, man, like, yeah. the next day, you know. Yeah, we, no one thinks about that anymore. Yeah. I've talked about that on the podcast, how, how like, the, that was such a big gig. Yeah, like oh, an yeah. organ player and then a, a percussionist, right? Yeah, organ, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or two or three percussionists, you know, sure. with a whole long table of sound effects. And, right. And, <laughs> and uh, so Senior kind of panicked and decided to sell the company. So at the time, Khan owned Leedy Drum Company, mm -hmm. and they were not happy with their sales. So they thought, well, if we team that up with Ludwig, right, it'd call it Leedy Ludwig. Maybe that's that could help us out. So they so senior sold to Khan. They both start with L. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. Work. yeah, yeah. But it had the opposite <laughs> effect. It actually dragged dr drug Ludwig down. Yeah, and, and their their percussion sales just plummeted, and then Senior didn't get along with the corporate type, so and he moved to Indiana, right? That's yeah, when he they moved to Elkhart. The, yes, um, the Chicago. The this would be the first Chicago factory, which is exactly. not where you Correct. were. Right. This right. is a smaller. I think that was on Walcott. Yeah, around, it was just a couple blocks away. Right, right. But uh, that's correct. And then Senior moved to Elkhart, Indiana, for a couple of years, okay. and. Didn't get along with the new people. So he was still involved when he sold. Oh yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. He was he was uh, <clears throat> supposed to be involved, like but they weren't listening. Almost. Well, no, he was. He had a title, and but they weren't listening to him. Oh yeah. They'd have meetings, and he'd come out present a new idea or a new product. They'd say, "Yeah, that's nice." Next subject. You Corporate know. bullshit. <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't going to say that, but <laughs> no, yeah, that's okay. You can swear. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so so he said, you know what. <laughs> I'm going back to Chicago and starting over because you people are not for me. Sure. <laughs> so they said, that's nice, but we own your name. He said, fine, I'll use my initials, WFL. 
Right. So that's when WFL Drum Company was started, and then he put William Ludwig President, real small, under the first logo, hmm. so people would know, oh, that's the Ludwig guy, because he was so well-known for quality and good service. Yeah, yeah. And is that when he opened the factory that you... Yes, that cool. was a basement. He rented the basement of the original building on the corner of Damon and... And he just started from scratch again? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's crazy. And, and he had not to, too many people do that. <laughs> well, not only that, but he, he sold the company to Khan for Khan stock. Okay. And then the great uh, the stock market crashed. Yeah, yeah. And the Khan stock went down... Uh, it was like I think he had a million dollars worth, and it went to a hundred thousand. Oh, geez! Like in a day or two. Oh man! That's... So he sold that, got what he could, went to his friends, family, and relatives, borrowed as much as he could, bought used machinery, went back to Danley, bought used machinery from him, and rented this basement spot on Damon Avenue. Wow! And then gradually he took over the first floor renting, then he took over the third floor, then he bought the building. That's such a cool story. Yeah. He did it twice, yeah. Yeah, twice. Well, and he did the, this is really ironic because he did that when he was 59. And seven years ago, uh, I had a change in my life, and I was living in downtown Chicago, working an office job, raising two young daughters by myself after divorce, had to sell my house to pay for the divorce, and moved out to the suburbs for a better school and thought, well, Bill, now what are you going to do? Right. Well, what's your next step now, Einstein? <laughs> and I was 59. Yeah. And I saw this picture. of we, I hung a picture of Senior in my kitchen testing drums in the factory. Right. And I just looked at it, and he, I thought, you know, he looks so proud and so happy. And I took it off the wall for some reason and looked in the back, and my dad's handwriting says, Senior, starting over. <laughs> and I went, if he can do it, I can do it. So I started WFL3 drums. Right on, man. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I couldn't use the WFL drums logo because still... Selmer owns that. Right, right. And uh, so I started WFL3 drums, and I started, it was so funny because I, I, I had, uh, I talked to several drum companies, small drum companies, about making my line to my specs, mm -hmm. and they weren't, interested so i'm good i'm friends with mike dorfman a trick who happens to be just up the street from here sure yeah Arlington. i know those guys they're great yeah, yeah in arlington heights and i thought i'll go talk to mike and went up to have lunch with him told him my idea and he goes i'll help you nice and we started kicking around ideas about his metal because he's a metal engineer yeah they make they make fantastic oh yeah they started an automobile I, I think right exactly racing parts right yeah. real high-end stuff yeah. yeah and then he and then he's a drummer so he started dabbling in drums and mainly bass drum pedals we even got lugs from them for Cravietto at one point yeah, I think right if I remember but hi-hat pedals and drum bass drum pedals are just stunning yeah yeah so he says you know if we do a metal snare I said I want to just start with snare drums and see how it goes mm -hmm. well if we do snare drums we can laser cut the Roman numeral three through the shell as the vent hole. Right. Which Very at cool. first yeah, you can see it here. Which at first I thought, oh that's gonna look cool. <laughs> but after we had the first prototype, being that it's a bigger vent area actually gives the bottom head a little quicker response to the snare. Mm -hmm. So it is in fact the snappier snare sound. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, you need vents and snare drums. I had a snare drum yeah. once that had no vent hole. Oh, and it doesn't it, no. it doesn't work. No, <laughs> you do toms no, it chokes vents, it. But yeah, 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 it chokes it. Totally. So <laughs> I thought, oh, that's a that's a brilliant idea, and I loved his creativeness. And uh, he just so happened to get he did powder coating. I remember also. those. They were like a it looked like a brushed aluminum kind of. Well, yes. Is that the, the one? The natural. There? Well, the natural, but this this finish is a powder coat. Oh, you're and, talking about. I was talking about the lugs. And yeah, when when I that. went through the fact, I was the same time that we were kicking around ideas in his shop. I said, I want some really cool finish. And he goes, Well, this just came in. And he points to this box of powder coat material. Yeah. Called Rockstar Sparkle. Mm. And I said, Oh, that's me. <laughs> so we did black or white black Rockstar Sparkle to begin with. Very cool. And the first drum was black. And I did. I got. Uh, my next call was to Rob Cook with the Chicago Drum Show. Yeah. And I said, Rob, you got any booths left for the show in three months or whatever? I think this, when I started this in March or something. Sure. He goes, I have one left. Yeah. And I said, I'll take it. I don't care where it is. I want it. I'm starting a drum company. So all of a sudden, I start getting phone calls from people that saw me get added to that booth lineup. Right. Is WFL three drums. They're like, what's going on? What's going on? And. It just, the buzz started immediately, which was very encouraging. <laughs> but at that drum show, I'm with my two young daughters, one black drum, right. you know, how many you want? You know, people go, what colors do you have? Black. How many you want? You know? Sure. I and, remember. Yeah. And this one guy, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. one guy asked me, uh, great, how much? <laughs> and I went, uh, I hadn't worked that out yet. <laughs> I hadn't even worked out the price yet. Sure. So in my mind, while the guy's standing there, I'm thinking, how much the shell? How much are the lugs? How much? I said six forty nine, and now they're priced at seven twenty, I think. So I wasn't too far. That's off, not a bad price. Yeah. Some some companies they start up and they're asking just like you got. Yeah, well, yeah. I wanted to keep like it reasonable. Fifteen hundred for like. A, yeah. <laughs> right. And you even you even have like reputation. You know, so like well, people <laughs> people know. I I remember. Actually, uh, about that same time, I started working here. So there was right. actually a big change in my life yeah. happening at that time, yeah. too. But I, I remember at the drum show from back when I was super young, I remember when your dad would come in and they would, uh, they, he'd like say something on the, the loudspeaker. Yeah. And then they would like, they'd like do like a, like. Hail to the chief. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because everybody that? called him the chief. <laughs> right, right, the so chief, the, yeah. yeah. Rob Cook would cue up the uh, Hail to the Chief song when right. he would roll in in his wheelchair, which was pretty cool. I remember that, man. That's uh, that's a cool memory. Well, did you, were you there when we did the tribute at this show to Dad? Because um, I had his ashes at the at the booth. No, I didn't. I you know I I think I remember it on the speaker though. Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 I have speaker, Dad's but. ashes in a snare drum. Oh, okay. And Mom's ashes in an urn in my yeah. living room. So, considering that this year was Rob's thirtieth year, I thought you know Dad loved that show so much. Anyhow, seeing sure. all his old friends, if he could go, he would go. He can go. I'm taking him. Sure. And I told Rob, and he said, fantastic, we'll play three camps to him. Nice. So we got rope drums out, and Rob made an announcement, and we did three camps to Dad, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, that goes all the way back to the the beginning, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, <laughs> And even his dad. And, exactly. And the three of you guys playing. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, very, so, very cool stories, man. I'm so well, glad uh, you were you. able to make it out and like talk about this stuff. We, yeah, we should talk a little bit about... Um, the kind of the middle portion of of your 
your like career and because it for didn't you do what did you do after um like you, you there wasn't there something in like like hawaii or something like that yes uh as i said i love to cook sure sure and <laughs> when uh it was you know, Selmer and I kind of had a parting of the ways. We have the tabletops. That's why yes, I know about this. Yes. I wouldn't even know about this. Yeah. But. <laughs> but it was 1991, right. and uh, Selmer and I parted ways, and I thought, well, now what am I going to do in life? And I thought, I've always in the back of my mind wanted to do a, a really cool nightclub with the band in mind. And this is after you guys sold the, the name to Selmer? Yeah, and that we, was, what, we like sold 80, it 81. 81, okay. And then so Dad and I worked for them for 10 years. Oh, okay. And then in 91, I parted ways. Dad left because yeah. they were just doing their own thing. and Right. It wasn't creative or fun. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I had been to so many bars or clubs to see, you know, big-name bands on the way down Sure. that are told, you know, we'll set up in the corner and go stand in line with everybody else to use the men's room. And, you know, if you want to change shirts, go in the kitchen. Sure. And I thought, you know, they just treat these people like dogs. Sure. <laughs> and this is just not right. So I wanted to have a really nice set-up club right. with the equipment top-notch, make it comfortable for the band so that they will come back and play all the time. I lost, I had two locations in Chicago I was working on, kept losing those because I was uh, not, I didn't have experience as a restaurant operator. Yeah, man, running, I, I was in the food business for a while. Yeah, yeah that's I, right, I'm, I'm, that's right. I'm into yeah. cooking too. I did yeah. food trucks mostly, but I, that's yeah, right. it's yeah. not an easy business. No, <laughs> no, it's I'd not. much rather be in the uh, retail drum business. Yeah, yeah. But the great thing about drums is they don't, uh, go bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know you could if you. Yeah, you know like uh, yeah. People aren't eating this food. You get you try and figure out what people are going to eat. And right. Sometimes exactly. Well, <laughs> but anyways, yes. Yeah, well, you're trying to figure out what people are going to eat is like trying to figure out what color drum to stock. That's why <laughs> in my new business, I'm happy to we do all custom. You know, build the custom, build right. the order. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I, I finally I, I used to vacation on Maui a lot because it was just. You know, after doing conventions and traveling so much, I just wanted to get away, away. Sure. Once in a while for a week or something, you know. So there was no nightclubs over there. And I thought, well, let me do it over there. Right. Well, there's a reason sometimes, you know, they there's say. not enough demand out there. <laughs> well, the, the tourists come over. First of all, they, they're jet lag when they get there. And then they go right to a, the beach and drink too many Mai Tais. <laughs> sure. And then they're hungover or they go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. And they don't want to go out and right. see a band. But at any rate, I opened the place. It was called Live at Ludwig's. We had uh, a 64-channel board. We had monitors, guitar amps, drums. So all you had to bring was guitars and sticks. Yeah, yeah. And bands loved it. Like, you know, some of the bands that were my endorsers were doing me a favor, and they'd come over and play for a reduced fee, but I would pay for the hotel. Sure, so they sure. get kind of a working holiday thing. Or catching people coming back from Japan from touring. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Take, a, take a break on Maui for four or five days and then come play in the club one night. So that was working. Nice. But it wasn't working enough on a regular basis to keep me going. Yeah. Because when, when there wasn't, like I had Yes play there two nights. I had Steve Smith with Vital Information play there four nights. Nice. When those guys were there, it was packed. When they weren't, it was empty. 
Yeah. And that was, uh, I, so I went out of business after a year and a half. Yeah. It's still a cool story, though. Well, and, and I got it out of my system real good because I was, <laughs> I'd, I'd pick the bands up at the airport, take them to their hotel, rush to the club, yeah. get in the kitchen, do the prep work for the it night. It sounds like you, you were doing, you were thinking too much about them. You were trying to be too nice to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> probably. You were, you were being a hospital hospitality person yeah right but right. It, it, like you're, you're trying to kill yourself to do all this stuff and well there there were also friends too so sure. i wanted to show them a good time but, right right but you're right i was too nice to them yeah but uh but i was doing cooking then so i was, you were actually cooking yourself some of it yeah or oh, prepping man. it like and at then least right right in the whole menu yeah yeah and then uh it wasn't a big menu, but it was good. It was the best burger you've are, ever had. Are you like, uh, what, what type of food do you do you mostly well, to, uh, gravitate the, towards? Well, I would go towards French or French sauces. Oh, I'm nice. a saucier type of a guy. Rich, but, rich, good stuff. Yeah, yeah <laughs> with a lot of butter. Yeah, <laughs> but, butter makes everything good. <laughs> but, but for the bar, I just had a really good burger and a really good uh, another sandwich of the day, and then usually a roast that we'd slice and do mini. Nice. You know, you just, still cook a lot? Yeah, for my kids or friends, yeah. I but, love I love cooking. But yeah, but it's, it's not the right reason to open a restaurant because you like to cook. Right, for sure. <laughs> you should be in the restaurant business to make money and hire somebody to cook, you know. Yeah, yeah totally. But I learned that too late. And it, yeah, I think... But the, I, I found when I was in the business, like location. Oh is yeah, so important. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you if you go into any city, you're, you'll notice, like all the good locations have been taken up by chains. Right. And even if you're like, a like a block away from yeah. the good spot, like right. if someone on their commute home has oh, yeah. to walk like twenty feet away from their exactly. house, they're not coming to your restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> and unless the food is like, and, really and special. the other tale, telltale sign is if a if a restaurant closes and another one opens up like the next week, right? That's a good location, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it was you know for what it was, I got it out of my system. One of the funniest stories though was uh, yeah, ginger millions of stories from there. Well, all the endorsers when I was doing it said because they would. Sometimes come to my house in, in you know in Chicago and and I'd cook dinners for them. Did you say, so you do live in Hawaii for a while? Yeah, for three years. You moved out there. Oh, yeah, wow, cool. But when I was you know the, the endorsers would come by and I'd cook or come to mom and dad's house if they were playing out at the Rosemont Horizon or something. Sure. And I'd cook and they'd say, "Man, this is great. You should open a restaurant." So I was <laughs> okay, fine. So I did. But uh, so they all said they would help me. So Ginger, uh, when I was up and running. I called Ginger because he was one of those. Sure. And uh, I said, look, Ginger, I'm, I'm open now. You got any time to come out and play? He goes, sure. <laughs> so we picked a weekend, and uh, he had just put out a, a rock or a blue CD and a jazz CD. Right. And I said, what kind of band do you want me to put around you? You know, blues or jazz or what do you, what do you feel like? Oh, I don't need a band. I'll just solo. And okay. I said, I said but, but, but Ginger... Uh, it's a nightclub. People like to dance. Sure. Got to need a bass line. Yeah, he goes, maybe. Well, <laughs> some people dance when I solo. And I'm like, and I'm like okay, whatever. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, you're playing on the weekend. I'll bring you out Tuesday and put you up at the Hyatt because I had a, a deal with the Hyatt Hotel. And uh, he said, well, why would I want to come out Tuesday? I said, well, it's Maui. You can hang on the beach and relax. No, I'm coming to help you. I want to come out the day of the show and leave right after, and I want to stay with you to help you. 
<laughs> and I had a small two-bedroom apartment. Sure. And I'm like, oh, no, no, Ginger, it's okay. The hotel's okay. No, I'm staying with you. And I said, <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> he seemed like a real character. And luckily, I'd done enough clinics with him that I knew uh, the proper way to make a cup of tea because that was always his thing. Why can't you bloody Yanks make a cup of tea? What kind of tea do you like? Uh, whatever, but Earl, it's a Earl certain. Gray or something? You gotta boil the water first, and then put it in the cup, and put the tea in the cup, and yeah, yeah. My brother you know, is you, a huge tea guy. You, there's there's a right way and a wrong way. Exactly. You don't want different types of tea, different temperatures. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So I I knew that much at least. So I, I made him happy with his tea. Nice. <laughs> but he he blew my mind because he came in the club, and I was charging twenty five bucks a head. Packed the place. I I held three hundred people or so. And it was sold out two nights, and he came in and played for 90 minutes alone. Hmm. No tracks, no nothing, and nobody moved. It, nice. was, it was really cool. I mean, his, his solo was so uh, fluid and, and musical. You know? Sure. <laughs> and it was just really, and people were coming up, before it was over, coming up to me going, I want to buy tickets for tomorrow night. I'm like, it's already <laughs> sold out. Oh, you know, yeah. I could have had him a week, but it was great. And That's then, awesome, man. I'm glad that yeah. went well. Yeah, it was I mean, great. He, yeah, he, he was a very talented. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly like jazz. Uh, a lot of the drummers I like are, they just, they play like softer, but he's actually one of one that I, I do really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, when it comes to, to, to drumming, I, I, I love the, the guys with like a soft touch. That's something that the more everything got amplified, I got got lost yeah <laughs> although you knew a couple guys that, yeah. that could really um really really play well yeah and ginger played jazz also i mean he played right. a, that's his background yeah yeah he, yeah he had a teacher in england that was this big jazz guy yeah that's that's awesome man well it's really cool because with my new company wfl3 drums our tagline is the sound of generations yeah because my grandfather myself and and this so now I have Ginger's son, Kofi, as an endorser. Awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. was at the show, I think, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, right. was, he was a main clinician. Nice, nice. Yeah. I never get to see the clinics, but yeah. it was a great drum show. I'm so happy he did it. I was worried, mm. like, for obvious reasons, they weren't going to do it. Exactly. They missed a, but it was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, and Kofi has just been a riot to work with. He's, a, you know. What's he like? Is he eccentric, or is he, he just kind of... He, He's a little bit eccentric, not yeah. as bad as Dad, but uh, sure. but he's a nice guy, and, awesome. and he's he's really behind us and, and likes to to help out and experiment with different drums when we come out with a new model. And yeah, yeah. So so we should talk more about um, your company, the uh, WFL three, because these, these are yeah. some fantastic drums. I really liked um, just one the one that the show that really stuck out to me. I told you earlier was that um, wood one. Was that one a uh, because you started with, I think, mahogany, poplar, mahogany, three plies. That was the first. We started wood. with uh, maple, poplar, maple, poplar, maple. Okay. Was okay. the first ones. And these are and aluminum. Then, and these are aluminum. So I went with the aluminum in the beginning for two and a half, three years. And then the ne next natural progression is coming out with the wood shells. Yeah, yeah. So I had to find a, a company to, to make those, which we found, you know, worked with Keller. Sure. Who's top notch. But they said, after hearing what I wanted, they said, we'll make them extra thin because you want a thin shell like your grandfather made. So we'll, yours will be the thinnest three-ply on the market. Right. So that was what we set out to do. And they are resonant. They sound great. The mahogany 
our five ply, just because mahogany okay. veneers are thinner in, in as on a whole. Sure. So those are five ply, but they have steam bent support rings. And uh, then we wanted to keep stay consistent with the three vent hole through the shell. Oh, with the wood ones. Yeah, and my wood shop guy said we can't cut through the wood like that. It'll make it too weak. Yeah, you'd just so, be able to push that in. <laughs> so then I have a business partner that came on board some years ago, and he came up with the idea, let's just cut a hole in the shell and put the bad new badge over it. Okay, that'll reinforce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice. So now we've got the three <laughs> vent hole on the wood shells as well. For, for everyone listening, if you want to see a big selection of these, yes. uh, I did a drum show walkthrough. I'm not sure if you watched that on uh, oh, YouTube. I, there's, I didn't know. But there's... Maybe like I don't know a minute into it or something, I go by by oh, your booth. Cool. And just say say oh, hi real quick, and cool. I I really loved that sunburst one. Just yeah, because I love sunburst. Was that a was that a maple or mahogany? Do you remember? I think that was a maple shell. Okay, so that and, was a three ply. Uh, one yeah, three ply. And we've Very also cool. uh, we're now making our own shells now. So we we've experimented and come out with a new line of five ply. Nice. And uh, we're gonna offer. One line of shells that has a center ply of, of okume. So okay. it'll be maple, maple, okume, maple, maple. Wow. And, uh, but then some of the, the, the high-end shells are going to be all select veneers. So it'll be five plies of all maple or all mahogany or all whatever wood sure. you pick. Right, right. And that's very exciting to come out with a with two new lines now to add to the original generations line. Yeah, are you guys? Um, I think you've at least done a couple kits, right? A couple drum sets. Oh yeah, yeah. We've got a full line. We're, we've got the capability to make every size, uh, you know, tom in the that you could think of. Nice. <laughs> and now that we're making our own shells, we can also make them any depth you want. Have you done any like bop kits? Any smaller kits? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we had one at the show, the Broadway. Yeah, and I, that that was. Uh, I was looking at mostly the snare drum side. So I think that was a, a eighteen kick and a ten rack and a fourteen floor. Are they all wood? The kits? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Those are and those were the five ply. But people would look at them and say, "Oh, that's cute." I'd say, "Play it," <laughs> yeah. and they sound big. The I little mean, ones, yeah, yeah, for sure. Some sometimes, yeah, the rock rock cats don't understand how much you can get out of like an eighteen. Exactly. I, I don't really like sixteens myself, but. 18s you can you can get some low yeah. low frequencies out of those oh yeah <laughs> yeah and for you know small club club work or something you know it's just yeah. perfect so you don't have to lug around a huge uh, set of when when cases. you were when you were working with the artists at Ludwig did you ever get the fun job of of moving stuff around <laughs> oh yeah well yeah. sometimes and also taking it to the gigs or something backstage you know a snare drum or and in that era yeah you're talking about Guys with ten piece yeah, kits, yeah, <laughs> lots of drums. Oh yeah. Well, I also uh, got the uh, joyous job of setting up Buddy's kit on the Tonight Show. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> because when we got Buddy, Buddy, you know, was with Ludwig in the beginning until he was about nineteen. Yeah, even I, there's pictures of him with that huge bass drum. You can't exactly. even see him behind it. Exactly. <laughs> or it, like they're drawn pictures. Of that's it, when right? he was like six years old. And yeah. So then he played the, you know, Ludwig until he was 19. And he came in, he was playing Chicago. So he comes in the factory to see Senior one day. And he's telling Senior how he's the greatest drummer in the world. 
and everybody loves him. So this and, is when he was getting back into it, because I think there was a stint where he like didn't really play very much, right? Well, this was when he was 19, so he was still playing a lot. Okay. And uh, and he told Senior, uh, and you know, I'm so big, you should pay me to play your drums. And so <laughs> Senior just didn't flinch, just put his cigar down and got up and walked around the desk to where Buddy was sitting and put his arm around him and said, take a walk with me. So they're walking through the office, and Buddy's still going on about how he's the greatest thing in the world. And <laughs> they get to the front door, and Senior says, get out of my factory, I don't pay anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time Buddy left us. Yeah, he, he was a... Uh, sometimes I feel like people have lost that a little bit, that like aggressive, like, go out there and, and you know, just grab, you know, yeah. like... Take take what you want, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like the the gall for him to you know to be able to well, <laughs> go at, up to at nineteen, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but he so he he left Ludwig several times and yeah. then came back and he was you know as you know was with Slingerland and with uh, I think he was even with Trixon for a minute and five yeah. or Fibes and you know he There's, yeah. The, but then he would always come back to us. And then a couple of years later, something would piss him off, and he'd go away. <laughs> and then he'd what come back. What would he get back. angry about? Like, was it the oh, way they sounded, or who knows? The way. It, and then somebody, eventually, it probably did get to the point where you guys were were paying him, right? That's he was he was he and yeah Ed Shaughnessy were two so, the only two that we did. So, but we also on, offset that with clinics. What about Ringo? No, really, no, interesting, never. So earlier on, that wasn't like normal. For you to for for because people thought I guess that maybe that was just because no one was famous enough that they would move that many drums to make it worth it. Well, I don't know if that if it was that as much as the the Japanese were trying to get in the drum market. Oh, so and they were so, so aggressive. You, guys, you were trying to keep your people. I see. Yeah, yeah they were yeah. so aggressive. They would say, "Here's free equipment." And a hundred thousand dollars. Right, it's hard to say no to that when you're a yeah. musician. Yeah, and then Yamaha yeah. took the next step, which really burned me. Yeah. And they would they would go to a, one of our endorsers that was putting in a home studio or something, and say, "Hey, we'll give you a board, <laughs> and we'll give you all the outboard gear too." Because they, yeah, they have so and a hundred thousand dollars, and and maybe like a a, a generator in case the power yeah, goes out yeah, or something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So they were buying a endorsers. Boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were buying our endorsers, you know, and, oh, and so there, there, there was a point that we wanted to keep Buddy and we wanted to keep Shaughnessy for the Tonight Show exposure, and then Buddy had an agreement with Carson because I believe Carson loaned him some money when he was struggling with the IRS at some point um. early on, and Carson said, you know, don't pay me back, just come on my show whenever I ask you to. Okay. So Carson got into a, a monthly routine of having Buddy on once a month. Right. So he would leave the tour, fly to L.A., do the show, and then fly back the next day to the tour. Yeah. So we wanted him to have his kit instead of a rental kit or instead of Shaughnessy's kit or whoever, you know. We wanted Buddy to have his kit. So we had a, a Buddy Rich kit in cases in our clinic stock room. And when that happened, when I started doing artist relations, I said to Dad, this is great. When Buddy does The Tonight Show, we'll just ship it out there. And Dad sat back for a minute, and he looked out the window, and he thought, and he goes, no, we're not going to ship it. You're going to fly it out as luggage 
and you're going to drive it to the Tonight Show. You're going to set it up. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> me? What do you, you mean me? And so and the, By this point, were you still kind of a little... Uh, scared of buddy? Scared of buddy? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was in my early 20s, and... Uh, <laughs> And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to do that. But I did. Sure. And uh, Dad took me to the airport with Buddy's kit in the car and cases. And that was before all the craziness with security. And you pay a guy 10 bucks, and he checks it through his luggage. It was great. And then I'd have to rent a station wagon in L.A. Good old days. <laughs> put it in that, drive it to Burbank, set up the kit, <laughs> torque it down within an inch of its life to make sure nothing moved or broke. And so did you tune them up for them? Uh, they were pretty much tuned when they came out of the shop. Okay. But I... And did he have like a specific... Because it always seemed to me like he was... He was pretty easy with that. Yeah, he was, he was more about just the... He, it kind of one of those guys is like, I can make anything sound good. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, he, and a, you know, 12-inch rack tom, a little bit high, you know, 16 normal bass drum what it is yeah probably a 13 rack I think, maybe right? a 13 yeah, yeah 13, you're right yeah. you're right <laughs> i know but, our viewers will be like yeah i know <laughs> they'll be very <laughs> these guys they know okay <laughs> we got a right. lot of a lot of buddy rich fans right, well, I mean, my dad used to have fact one of, check me as we go <laughs> sure my dad used to have one of buddy's kids it was a slingerland though oh yeah right i wonder where where all the where all the ludwig kits ended up <laughs> he gave them away over the years he would he'd play a gig and somebody would say man that kit sounds good i'll keep it and then call <laughs> nice. us in the middle of the night i need another kit in des moines tomorrow you know Oh, great. <laughs> he did that with Johnny Carson. The, yeah. like, I think it was the second time I went out there to do the setup routine. Uh, because after the show, I would tear down, go to the Hyatt House, you know, the, they call it the Riot House in, in Hollywood, where all the rock stars stayed, <laughs> spend the night, hang out, and then fly back the next day with the kit. Right. So this one time, uh, Johnny says, man, buddy, those Ludwig drums, and this is on air. He says, man, those, that new Ludwig set you have sounds really good. And Buddy goes, you like it? Keep it. Yeah. And I'm behind the state, behind the curtain, you know, watching a monitor. And I heard that. And I'm like, oh, my job here is done. <laughs> <laughs> and so I split. And Carson kept that kit in his basement until he died. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, and were you guys the last until uh, uh, the end yeah. uh, with, with, with Buddy Rich? Yes. Yeah. He never... I wonder if uh, if Yamaha ever approached him or Pearl or Tama. I, I don't think he would go that direction. I don't I think. And he, and they might not be interested in it because they probably saw jazz as like the you know the yeah. thing of the past. We want to get the new know, rock star guys. Yeah, yeah. Bernard Purdy. And, yeah, and like you know. <laughs> well, they uh, another one. Although they, he, he was a sonar guy, wasn't he? Maybe. Yeah, never I got think so. To him. <laughs> the Germans got him. Another yeah. guy, another guy that they just <clears throat> ripped out of my hands was, uh, uh, oh, I just lost it, the name. He played with White Snake. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't not know. Tommy, <laughs> not Tommy Aldridge. Uh, I know the band. I just don't know the name of the drummer. <laughs> but he was into uh, dirt bikes. Like, oh yeah, like racing dirt bikes. Oh, so Yamaha. <laughs> so Yamaha. So they did. It, they, they went over to tour <laughs> Japan. Richie Blackmore, Rainbow, okay. that guy, and uh, uh, he's the he gets the sound check, and there are these two unbelievably hot, tricked out 
dirt bikes on stage. Sure. And he's like, oh, I never saw an engine like that or whatever, you know, clutch or whatever they had that was special. And the Yamaha rep is there and says, well, you know what? If you take the drums, we'll give you these two prototype dirt bikes and <laughs> we'll have regular dirt bikes for everybody in the crew and band shipped back to L.A. for you. Yeah. And there was like 30, 30 crew, you know, and four band members. And sure enough, when they got back to L.A., there was like 34 dirt bikes in boxes. You can't compete with that. No, <laughs> no. And, of course, he took them and called me and let me know. But so that, that, yeah, that's the big way they made the inroads into the market. Yeah, it was an interesting strategy. Uh, and, then, and now it's funny because well, now know, they're they, getting out of it. At least it seems like uh, maybe with Yamaha, the drums are not as important. I have to say, I've dealt with Yamaha before. I've had getting little things can be a real difficult. And yeah. having local companies, like one of the great things about, I mean, like right now, like, like Gretsch, for example, like if there's a kit that's, let's say, 10, 15 years old, really special, like, you know, collector, unique kit, maybe, you know, 50 of them made. Someone breaks one of the hoops that's painted a specific color. Yeah, you can get a hoop from Gretsch. You know they'll do it for you. Um, I'm sure you guys would do that. You know, like like a, a local business that actually cares sure. about. But with with, uh, with yeah, I, I I tried to get this hoop and it was. I think we ended up having to have like a, a car guy paint a hoop because oh. they just wouldn't do it. There's like yeah. we just continued that finish. You know, 15 years ago, we don't make it anymore. End of oh. story. Oh, like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, <laughs> it, oh. it was a five thousand dollar or maybe even more kit when it was uh, new. You think you yeah. could just make an exception here? Nope. Well, yeah, exactly, and that. <coughs> Excuse me. That's one of the things that's really fun about our company. Yeah. Is and people have said this, they call us agile because we're small enough. Sure. We can react, we can do custom things. You know, somebody wants something, we we'll say, Yeah, we can do that. It might take a little longer, but we'll do it. Right. <laughs> and the real cool thing is, and that's how I've gotten some of our bigger endorsers, which I, I just got uh uh John Humphrey with Seether. Okay. Signed up with us, and uh, Haley Kramer with Pop Evil, two of the bigger metal bands, and nice. <laughs> and I say to, I just say to them, you know, when they're hemming and hawing about, oh, I don't want to leave the company I'm with because I'm a loyal, which is great sure. as it should be. <laughs> However, I say, who do you deal with there? And they're like, uh, uh, well, they just got a new guy, and I forgot his name, or. You know, we were talking about earlier. Everyone I, in this business is moving around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I called, company, or I called for... so and so. One one artist, Adam uh, Ferrioli with um, Get the Let Out, told me it took him thirty two days to get a return call from oh, the man. artist relations guy. And I said, really? You call WFL Three Drums, and I answer the phone. Sure. You know, and people <laughs> <Not> the owner. <laughs> yeah. pe people can't believe that a Ludwig is answering the phone. I'm like, what? It rang. Sure. What do you What do you want? But it's uh, that's really a fun part for me because I was brought up by my grandfather and father to have top customer service and top quality, and everything else comes together. Right on, man. Yeah, my dad's a little similar. He puts his cell phone on the website. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Yeah. And so he's pretty much always available. Uh, right. You know, give him a call. And right. He loves the this business. It's kind of sure. his, his dream. And sure. it sounds like it's the same way with <laughs> with, with your um, yeah. your new, yep. new company. Yeah, we got to get some of your drums, man. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had, uh, I think I had a used one maybe two years ago. Oh. And then we, we sold that. 
I'd love to. We should talk. You know, maybe we can get some well, stock. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, and you know, you, I think we're we're a dealer technically, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> we haven't had it any while, sure. like I said, but but if you get uh, get a couple of kits in and see how it goes, and and the other thing with a when a dealer gets uh, some kits on the floor, if they're not getting attention or moving for them, we'll take them back and give you a new finish. Oh, like just switch so it up, yeah. Yeah, just so it stays fresh. It does happen, yeah. And then as a shop, what we like to see is, yeah. is um, if it, you know, uh, for those watching, yeah, you'll see my walkthrough videos. Oh, incidentally, we were talking about your your club earlier. That yes. Had. The tables. I wanted to bring oh, that up. Oh, yeah. I saw we, a couple back there. We somehow got the yeah. tables. Yeah, We at one point had like 20 of them. Yeah. And they took up so much space, my dad <laughs> traded them for something. And we got them in a trade in the first place. Well, and we, I kept two, though. My dad kept two, and I have them hung on the wall. I love it. In our main shop. So I a, saw them. It's a cool I, connection. Yeah. I never th thought you'd see those again, right? Y yeah, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> so but. for those listening, if you look at my walkthrough videos in our main uh, room, there's two hanging uh, glass. They just look like pictures, but yeah. they're actually tabletops exactly. that were part of it. your your restaurant. Now, yeah. Were those from the Hawaiian one, or were those yeah. from the Chicago one? Nope. There, there was ever a Chicago one. That never opened. Oh, they like never you got tried there. to, yeah. but it never happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That was from the Hawaii Adventure. That was very expensive to ship back here. <laughs> yeah. Did you bring and, them back? Or yeah, did... I shipped them back. That was then... the only thing I got to keep because oh. <laughs> uh, I went bankrupt. Sure, sure. And the bankruptcy court said, uh, you know, we're keeping all the... Items in the in the restaurant, the, the, the cool stuff, the, the well, everything, you know, <laughs> chairs, tables, whatever. Jeez. And I said, yeah, but these tabletops are all personalized because it was my personal memorabilia, my personal backstage passes, my pictures with people. Oh wow! In every so that's all. I didn't know and that. Yeah. I, I built those. I mean, I had a sure. wood. I had a wood guy build the frame. Yeah. And then I painted them. I put the materials in, glued them in. Right, right. And then put the glass tabletop on it. Right. And then sanded it and lacquered it. Uh, they're they're well they're so, well made. I repaired yeah. one of them actually. Yeah. The glass was coming off. I had my yeah. guy glue it real good. So yeah. The last forever. <laughs> well, I, I left those purposely with a, a a glue that would not totally seal them in because if that artist oh. comes in the place, I wanted to be able to take the glass off and oh, have okay. him sign the picture. Sure, it, you know. sure. So. Because it was pretty cool. People would come in and say, I want to sit at the Van Halen table tonight, or I want to sit at the Pink Floyd table tonight. And yeah, each one's themed. We got the yeah. Blues Brothers one. Yeah, yeah. And then I think one of ours has, like, Max Roach on it. Yeah, which is... I think, yeah. And Ringo, I think, is on one. Who, who are some other jazz greats that you met uh, through through your dealings when you were the... Roy Haynes. The, the... Roy Haynes a lot. Oh, I saw him a lot. Uh, Joe Morello. Was, was Roy an endorser for... Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And Joe Morello a lot, which I loved watching him play because yeah. he's so smooth. That's a light touch thing I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but he could play fast as, as you know can be if he wants to. Right, right. But because uh, Buddy always had just that that level, you know, as fast as as he could go. Sure. And Joe can play, you know, tastefully in between and then fast when he wants to. So. Yeah, very different styles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both, but both also Max Max though. Roach. I did a lot with Max Roach and uh Was Max a wasn't he a Gretsch guy though? No, he came with us later. Later, okay. Yeah. His sixties he was Gretsch. Yeah, and, then, and this was probably the the mid seventies, late seventies he came back to what us. What was he like? I I don't think Not, I've ever oh, talked nice to anyone who met him before. Real nice guy. Real laid back, real I mean, talk about a jazzed cat. You sure. Know, he was it. He he brought drumming to kind of a 
a really uh, like drum set playing. He, he almost like wrote like a piece of music. And exactly. Yeah. Performed it. Right. I just I, that's such a cool thing to yeah. to do because sometimes people they think of percussion and they don't think of uh, of that and uh, you know you can do so much. It, it's such a <clears throat> the drum set's such a wonderful instrument. Yeah. That's right. the it's the American instrument. Yeah. <laughs> All the stuff we were talking about earlier, it was being invented here. Yeah. Most most of our instruments are came over from across the pond, you know, yeah, but the drum right, set, right. that that particular collection of things. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Traps kit. True. <laughs> Contraptions. Yeah. But yeah, tell me tell me more about um uh, Well, you know, with the with uh as I said, we progressed from the aluminum shell into the wood shell snares, which then progressed into wood shell kits. Right. And uh, now I'm really excited about this because we have, uh, since we have our own factory outside of Kansas City, we put a spray booth in, okay. which I thought, ooh, spray <laughs> booth. You know, I want to be the mad professor in there. And we sure. have now been, we, it took us about a year and a half, but we perfected the spray on sparkle finish. Okay. So all of our sparkles, if you go to our website, which is WFLIIIDrums.com, You'll see our finishes, and all the sparkles are spray-on. So it's like a lacquer. None right? of them are wrapped. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's actually an automotive high gloss automotive paint. Okay. That we put the color on, and then put the sparkle on that. Okay. Sure. And then clear coat four coats of clear over that. Yeah. So it gives it a real three D look. Right. And you know, people look at it, and people will come up at a convention and go, "Where's the seam?" Yeah. You know, they think it's a wrap. And I'm like, there is no scene. Right. So that's exciting. And then that also yeah, I'm a, got I'm a us... sparkle guy. I love yeah, it. My yeah. favorite kit, actually, the snare drum is there. It's, oh. Uh, if you look, it's, um, oh, I have yeah. the whole kit, but that's, it was originally Peacock Sparkle. Oh. I wonder if, if could you guys do something? Because like, you said like, you do a lot of custom stuff. Can you, like, do, like, uh, uh, custom sparkle finishes, or is it is it like strictly like? Well, I, I couldn't wouldn't say that now. I, I'd rather stick to what we have, but sure, uh, sure. we've got blue, red, <laughs> but the red's like a candy apple red. And, and if you're gonna do it, another one, it probably wouldn't be peacock sparkle. Well, maybe <laughs> it's not. It's a goofy no. finish. Someday, though. I I like weird finishes like that, and that used to be that. You, you do you remember that finish? No. It's like, um, it's basically rainbow sparkle. It's it's like it is has it darker pink. than champagne. It has pink, green, and I think just like silver. It didn't look like that originally. It oh, fades oh, really bad, and oh. so it basically turned into like a gold of sparkle, huh. which is actually also super cool. But if you look at it, it's it's a really kind of uh, goofy, yeah, basically rainbow yeah, <laughs> rainbow sparkle. Yeah. Wow. I just I like it because. Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, it's one of those finishes you, you you'd, you'd remember it. If you yeah, saw yeah, it. right. And it's a wrap, of course. It's not a not a lacquer. <laughs> well, it's it's cool because that uh, the new endorser John Humphrey I was talking about with Seether just got his kit, and they just started their tour last week. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, he got Caribbean sand. Okay, which is that like kind of a gold? It, or yeah, it's bur a burgundy. It's kind a, of? a it's not champagne and it's not gold. It's like in between there. Nice. But it's beautiful. And and I've never seen it under lights. Oh, yeah. So he's going to be playing here at the uh, Tinley Park at the World. Yeah, uh, lights make such a big difference. Sometimes oh, yeah. just like Silver Sparkle looks the best. Oh, yeah. It picks up all. And that's right. why White Marine Pearl looks so beautiful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the. This uh, would actually, but, this would be great in, yeah. under some nice, uh, nice stage. stage lights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So that's exciting, though, for me to get to see, you know, these new finishes coming out as, as well as the new shells we're making, the different plies, different woods. So we're really uh, growing a lot and, and coming out with some beautiful new products, great-sounding yeah, products. All great news. So what about uh, for lugs? Do you have, like, I think there's, like, a brushed aluminum and then a chrome plate? Well, that was, the, that, that was in this. This is the first series that we did, which is... Uh, we, that was what we used to do, but we don't do the brushed anymore. We just do. Okay. We do a, We have a new lug design that you saw at the show. It's a little smaller, and it's got three lines going down. Yeah. But we offer that in chrome, brass, or black nickel. Nice. Yeah. And uh, but that's just on the snare drums. On the kits, it's only chrome. Very cool. Yeah. And I think were the original lugs you guys did without. Uh, um, Inserts. In, inserts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they were uh, machined aluminum right, from right. Trick. Yeah, for sure. But they were, because, you know, to get a, a cast cast lug, you have to do like 5,000 pieces at a, at a crack. Oh, yeah. And I, I couldn't afford that, and I didn't have the use for that. Sure. <laughs> so he would uh, Trick would make them for me as I needed them. You know? They were cool, though. Eh? <laughs> oh, yeah, but they're expensive. I mean, yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's... That's true. Yeah, get anything made in the states, and it's, yeah. it's very, very expensive. Well, it's a handmade product, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, it has a radius to it, so it fits nice and snug against the lug. And mm. but the new lugs are are great. They're kind of a little retro look to them. Yeah. And uh, very, very cool. Well, yeah, yeah. We should. Um, anything else you wanted to like touch on? Either you know, like. Uh, stuff of the past, stuff of the present, you know. <laughs> no, no, I think they covered it. I think. Yeah, we we got we got to just about everything. Yeah, been, yeah, great, great yeah. talk with you. Well, thanks we've for having never, me. We've never sat down. We always see each other all the time, but we've never sat yeah. down and gone this this I deep know. into. I know. Well, and I love that you you're you're into cooking because I'm into cooking a yeah, lot too. I I remember I, that now with your food truck. You yeah, told me that. Yeah. I had the food truck. I'm I'm big into Indian food. That's yeah. one of the things I just do. Are, are you a fan of any? Some I people love, like it. Some I love don't. Indian food. Nice. I don't like cooking it. <laughs> It's you know, a lot of work. Oh yeah, I mean, and, you, you and then your house smells for three table full of onions. <laughs> yeah, and your house smells for three days afterwards. Yeah, you see, know? I actually like that. I like the smell well, yeah. of onions. Now you probably want to like open a window though to make it like, but I like yeah. a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I don't mind it, especially like when you're cooking it. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh yeah, it's like a cumin, yeah, uh, garlic, um, yeah, you know. There's some really uh, spices you probably never heard of. Isophatita, mm. very very strong stuff. Oh yeah, that stuff. Yeah, like if you if there's like a truck shipping it, you'll you'll oh. you'll smell it. You know, a mile away. I, I like a spicy chicken tikka masala. <laughs> yeah, you man. Know? I like <laughs> the creaminess, stuff. but I want it hot. You know, yeah. I want it to get my attention. I like uh, my my favorite curry might be uh, it's called sag paneer. It's uh, oh, yeah. spinach and cheese. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's, I like it's a little bit like. Um, there's some spices in the way they prepare it that are a little bit similar to Italian food in some ways, but it's funny because like Indian food is like backwards. Well, there's a lot from, of garlic from too, Western right? food. Isn't there some garlic in there? Oh yeah, yeah. garlic and ginger, yeah, tons. Ginger, yeah. it, 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 Indian food, it's like if in doubt, add more spice. <laughs> well, when I do my chili, uh, yeah. homemade chili, I throw cumin in. Yeah, that's you know, good. It gives it a nice kick. It, but it's, it, the big difference between Indian food is like I think in a lot of Western food, whether it be French, English, Italian, whatever, you start with the garlic a lot of the times, uh, and then add the onions. Oh. Indian food, most of the time, 
not always, but most of the time, you start with the onions, oh. and then you add spices, then you um, add garlic and ginger. It's like oh. the last step, which is really interesting. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should we should get together sometime, man. We should yeah. cook cook some food. I well, I, uh... <laughs> I I when I first started doing the artist relations, yeah, uh, this was pretty funny. <laughs> My I was a big Elton John fan when I was twenty or nineteen twenty. Years yeah, old. yeah, that's good music. And. Uh, and so my buddy got, got, for my birthday, my 21st birthday, tickets to go see Elton John at this Chicago stadium. Nice. So we were in the last row on the main floor. So he comes on, and everybody stands up, and I'm like, oh, man, I just got comfortable, you know. So then I stand up, and, you know, Elton's like this big, like a little ant on the stage, running sure. back and forth, you know. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, this is fun, great, okay. <laughs> then I start doing the artist relations, in the next year, when they were in Chicago again, the drum tech, Colin Hilborn, who's still a good friend of mine, called me and said, uh, or he came by the shop to pick up some strainers or some parts for a super sensitive strainer. Sure. And he says, uh, you're coming to the show tonight, aren't you? And I said, I don't know. Am I? And he goes, well, yeah. You want to come? Come. Just go to the box office and give him your name. I said, Okay. And I'd never been backstage to a concert. Right. <laughs> and so... So you were pretty young at this point. Yeah, yeah, 22. Yeah. <laughs> so I give them my name. I'm by myself. They give me the envelope with six tickets and six laminate all-access passes. And I said, well, what do I do? And the security guy literally says, put the pass around your neck and then go that way. So I get to another security guy and I show him the pass. He goes, go that way. I get to these two huge guys at, at a door, yeah. and I show them my pass, and they open the door, and I walk right into Elton and Roger Pope, the drummer, talking. Wow. And I'm like, this is a little closer than I was last year when I saw you. <laughs> sure. And then Elton says, you want a beer? And I'm like, sure. Nice. And the guy brings me a beer, and I'm like, huh. Oh, man. So I got to watch a show from the side of the stage. Yeah. That, and I yeah, loved him. So you got to, after you got the to show, see some cool stuff. <laughs> a, after <laughs> the show, we're all in the you know I go in back into the dressing room and they're changing and they're like, uh, "Well, come on, we're going out to dinner. I've reserved a restaurant. Come with us." I'm like, "I'm not going to say no to Elton." You know? Sure. So it was Indian. Oh, nice. Yeah, the Khyber Pass in Chicago, which is not there anymore, it used to be on Walton. And, I remember uh, that place. 50 East Walton, where Universal Studios was up, up upstairs. Well, I, th I think I remember that place. When did it close? Did it close? I don't know. A long, quite sounds, a while ago. Quite a while. There, honestly, there was probably another restaurant. Well, there's several name. Kyber restaurants, yeah. yeah but I've been to a Kyber Pass at some point. Yeah, I don't know if it right. was that one. but <laughs> So all of a sudden, you know, they all start ordering food, and I'm talking to Roger Pope, the drummer, getting to know him and everything, and... And they, they just bring out all these different curries, and they're saying, here, try this, try this, and the yeah. naan, and <laughs> onion kulcha. And, and I'm tasting it, and it's pretty hot. And sure. I'm thinking, <laughs> and they're saying, you know, how do you like it? They said, oh, it's great. And inside, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> sure. Any second, I'm going to blow up <laughs> right. or self-combust or something, I'm going to die. And, uh, you hadn't built up a resiliency to that no. yet. <laughs> you know, and, the next, <laughs> and the next day, I wake up, and I went, that was pretty good. Yeah. I want to have that again. And ever since then, I've been addicted. 
Because it really is, is addicting. Yeah, it has, and it, it it does have a lot of fat in it. Yeah, but it has so many spices. It's because yeah. in India, that's where all the spices come from. In yeah. ancient times, spices were like so expensive in yeah. Europe. Yeah, because you couldn't get them. They were, you know, and like pepper, black pepper. Yeah, used to be like worth its weight in gold. And really? Like, oh yeah, oh. absolutely. Even oh. black pepper. Huh. That's one of the few that made it to Europe, and like kings and queens would be the only people who could. Oh wow. Who could afford it? Yeah, um, and. Uh, you know the because you can't grow it in Europe. You can't grow it in Europe. All oh. those spices they all grow in India. Oh, just because of the climate and and yeah, that it has um, spices in it that are really good for you. They're like antioxidant. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And I, whenever, yeah. even if I'm like, if I had a little too much to drink or something, if I eat a good Indian meal, yeah. the next day I wake up, I feel fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if I eat. As opposed to like maybe if I eat like a bunch of cold cuts, like a sandwich, something yeah, like that. The next yeah, day I wake pizza, up, I feel terrible. Or pizza. Yeah, pizza. Yeah, yeah. If you if you overdo it, which is easy, <laughs> feel like yeah. you're in a coma the next day or something. You yeah. just came out of a coma. <laughs> yeah. I love pizza though. Don't don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I love a good Indian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good good stuff. Yeah. Speaking man. of pizza, do you get to Nashville much for the to go to visit Forks? Uh, I know my dad. He just oh. actually got back from there. Oh, because I found this place, uh, pizza place, DeSano's Pizza. Oh, that you know, they, they ship their flour in from Italy once a week. Oh, no, I don't think I went there yet. Oh. This place I wasn't that nice. Wood, <laughs> yeah. wood-fired ovens, but the flour comes from Italy once really? a week. Yeah, Cool, man. Oh, it's good pizza. That's um, that's pretty pretty legit. Yeah, yeah. Italian Italian food is... Fantastic! It's funny. I never order it. I never like order it out. I never. Well, I go to Italian restaurants every now and then, but usually I don't order it because I'll just make it at home. Exactly. Myself. Me too. But the other day I got I got some and it was just like, oh, this is. I, I had um, Chilean sea bass. Oh, well, yeah. That, that fish, if it's prepared properly, yeah, it just like I melts know. in your I, mouth. I know. I love it's that. so good. <laughs> I love it. That's but, cool though, man. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad Italian. you're into culinary stuff. I can cook Italian <laughs> at home. You know, that's why I won't eat it when I go out. Sure. So I'm not going to pay that kind of money if I can cook it. You know? Right, right. You'd probably make it better yourself, yeah. No, but Indian food, <laughs> that I'll pay for. Right. That's, that's good. Yeah, the one of the one of the keys to legit Plus Indian food is... the tandoori is... oven, or the tandoor. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, that's oven. those are like 1,000 degrees. I know. And, and, a, really and, hot. and real expensive. And, you I, know, they take... They take the bread, yeah, and they like slap it on the I, inside. I, know. I I worked at a place that we did really good Indian food, but we never had a. We had them, but we never used them. Oh, we, we were just. Uh, it was kind of like a. It, that was too elaborate. We, we were doing quick stuff, you know. Oh, we were kind of like it's like one, a Chipotle like place. That's what oh. he the owner was trying to do. He was trying to do oh. the Chipotle of of Indian, Indian food. Food, which is like it's it's made well and it has all the legit stuff. But one of the problems was it's too expensive because oh. Indian food has so much heavy cream in it. Yeah, uh, that um, some of them don't. Like it's weird because they have like the best vegan food ever, like aloo mutter, peas and potatoes, or chana masala, chickpeas. Yeah, no no cream in that. Yeah, but then the the like tikka masala. Yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. uh that's like it's got a lot of cream and ghee, uh, yeah. which is like. Butter. It's butter, but worse for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like more fat. <laughs> well, I tried uh, when I was going to the Kyber Pass all the time, because every yeah. band that would come into town, I'd say, you want to go over an Indian? Oh, yeah. Sure. So I'd take him there. <laughs> right on. So the, the chef would always let me in the kitchen and go back and talk and whatever and see what he's doing. But he told me, you can always tell a young Indian chef, because he has burns on his knuckles. Oh, from the tandoor? <laughs> he gets nervous when he puts the bread in, and instead of just 
going like that and pulling your hand out, he goes like that and hits the other side. <laughs> right, right. And burns his knuckles. Yeah, man. Chef's hands. Yeah. Chef's yeah. hands don't feel heat. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Bill, this has been great, man. I had a really good time. Good. Um, you, might then... be, you might wonder why I have this, too. Another quick story. Oh, yeah, sure. I've got a drum key here because my father, whenever we would leave the house or hotel or wherever we were, would say, drum key check. And you'd have to pull your drum key out and show him your drum key. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and he'd have one. Because he said, you go to a gig, and drummers are always going, oh, anybody got a drum key? There you go. Okay, thank you. And I he, got my knife. I got my drum key. Yeah. Well, and so if, if you're at a big gig and a drummer says, you got a drum key? Sure. A Ludwig cannot not have a drum key. Yeah. So here you go. And I did this just Saturday night with Roger Earl from Foghat. It was hysterical. I told him the story backstage, and I said, see, drum key check. And he goes, oh, thanks, and takes it and puts it in his pocket. And I said, no, give me that back. That's mine. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but man. he didn't have a drum key. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you got you to gotta be prepared yeah. as, a, as a drummer. So I'm doing it now. I wonder when they, like, settled on that that type like yeah why because you know like the early stuff some of it was like a uh, was, flathead uh, yeah kind of and yeah. then somewhere that and this I is like know. probably some guy who invented the drum key <laughs> yeah for sure because <laughs> that's like the can you think of any other application where they use that no and they maybe a long time ago they used to and then there's like hex ones that are similar yeah that people still use for like no, but you're right that masonry always comes bits back, and stuff like that but always comes back to that yeah for sure <laughs> But yeah, man, cool. Okay, cool. well, thanks. I got to hit the road. 